Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Friday edition is here. Good afternoon to you. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow with a well-deserved day off. And let's be honest, he's living it up this weekend. Scottsdale, Arizona is where we'll find him later this afternoon. We will Perhaps. interrupt the, the bachelor party that is taking place. Uh, Paul, how are you, man? Good afternoon. I, uh, a big show planned today. Albert Breer will join us coming up in about 15 to 20 minutes from Monday morning quarterback. Looking forward to chatting with him about Brady's return to Foxborough, setting up a big weekend. Later in the show, Jill Savage from Outkick the Tailgate. I'm headed to Tuscaloosa to meet up with her and the entire Outkick crew right after today's show. Tomorrow morning we'll be live, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Central from Innisfree in T-Town in Tuscaloosa, for Alabama Ole Miss coverage, you can uh, join us right here across the Outkick Network. We will have Bobby Carpenter on the show. That's coming up at 4.20 Eastern time this afternoon. A lot to discuss there with some big games across the SEC, also the Big Ten, and with Cincinnati and Notre Dame. That's all straight ahead. And uh, we'll check in with uh, Brent Hubbs and Austin Price as well to get you ready for Tennessee and Missouri in the Tennessee Power Hour. Titans and Jets coverage coming up as well. Um, Thursday night football was a good game. It didn't go like we thought it would, Paul. We, uh, we, we lost on a fan duel. We took the Jags. Uh, we, we laid the points, yeah. I should say. We took the Bengals minus seven and a half. Um, and the Bengals were lucky to win the game, quite I'm frankly. still two for three, uh, giving big points, uh, with the Jaguars. Uh, but, uh, I, I didn't have any doubt Cincinnati was going to come back and win that game. I really didn't. I, I said it at halftime to a text chain of friends, but Jaguars were better, certainly better, stormed out to a lead and, and played uh, efficient, cleaner football. Um, and Cincinnati didn't play very well for a while, but Cincinnati's better football team found a way to win, found its footing. Uh, the Burrow to Chase connection is alive and well and uh, right in the embryonic stages, but uh, yeah. is going to be a big-time connection. And in the end, the poise and uh, – you know, that's the second time Cincinnati's won on a last-second field goal and lifted up lifted up their guy at, at the horn. Um, and the last was it as time expired in overtime. Yeah, so, you this know, season. They're, they're, those are the signs of a, of, of a good team to yeah, be able to I finish think, that one. You know what? I, I think they are they're right on the cusp of being a playoff team this year. You know, they're in a typical 16-game season. They'd be 8-18, eight eight right? Right there going into the final week, needing a win and needing some help to get in. Now with the extra team involved for the postseason, I think they're a playoff team if they continue at this pace. I don't think they're great by any means. I, I think they have a young nucleus of talent that's coming together that is a, a year or two away from really challenging that division. But with Burrow, 
I, and you know I have a love affair with Burrow. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I love watching him play. I think he's excellent at just keeping poise. He stays poised. He's got a little moxie to him. It's hard to rattle him, although he has been rattled this season already. Um, and now that they're gaining some, some talent around him, they've got a run game. I'm, I'm impressed by what they're doing right really, now. Really, what they needed uh, in order to become <clears throat> back-end wild-card contenders was for somebody to fall off, and Pittsburgh's falling off yeah, so far, right. and they beat them. Um, On the road. So, you know, the thing is that that's a tough division with, with Pittsburgh, with Baltimore, with Cleveland. Baltimore and Cleveland uh, still look legit. <clears throat> And, uh, and Baltimore looks legit with a lot of injury troubles and, and questions. I think Cleveland uh, is, is legit. But Pittsburgh, we've been asking questions about Roethlisberger. And Cincinnati beat Pittsburgh head-to-head. And in order for Cincinnati to break through out of that division, it's going to have to win some games in that division. Those are the hardest games, uh, you know, in many ways on, on their schedule. Two against Baltimore, two against Cleveland, two against Pittsburgh. And they've, they've won one against Pittsburgh already. So they're lining up to, to be in good shape. And I don't know about you. I, I, I'm sure you agree with me. Uh, Pittsburgh against Cleveland, those are games I want to see. Pittsburgh yes. against Baltimore, those are games I want to see. And we'll get more into this as the season goes on. But one of the best storylines, broad storylines going on in the league now are the emergence of these quarterback rivalries. We're so used to Brady, Manning. Uh, you know, we see Roethlisberger Rodgers this weekend, which is one of those AFC, NFC rarities. But think of the the team-to-team matchups that are going to become big now. <clears throat> Cincinnati and Los Angeles Chargers is going to become a big matchup on Burrow and um, – Oh, with Herbert. Herbert. But really, I mean, it's going to be Herbert – and Mahomes, Mahomes. Yeah, they're going to see each other on a regular yeah. basis. But Herbert and Burrow could see each other semi-regularly. You know, Manning and Brady weren't in the same division. Right. But they saw each other pretty regularly because they were first-place teams that matched up on a pretty regular basis. Does that happen for Burrow and Herbert? And do those guys become linked with two teams that had no reason to be linked? As Indianapolis and New England had no reason to be linked until those two quarterbacks got them into first-place status all the time and playoff matchups that are legendary games in the league now. Well, 10 years from now, are there legendary matchups between Cincinnati and Los Angeles? Uh, that's fun to think about. I, I like envisioning yeah. all of that. Uh, and we'll get to see the first of those matchups this year, December the 5th, Chargers at Bengals, um, as we go into the final I month hope, of the regular I hope season. It means I yeah. hope it means something. Uh, these stats will continue to trickle out on Trevor Lawrence as they continue to lose. Trevor Lawrence is now 0-4. He went a combined 86-4 as the starter in high school and college combined. So this is his first four-game losing streak, as you might imagine. It's also the, four, the first four-game losing streak for Urban Meyer as a head coach. He looked, when he walked to midfield, he just looked puzzled, baffled, <laughs> yeah. right? like uh, helpless. Uh, I thought Lawrence was better last night. He made fewer really questionable throws. Well, that first half throw on the far sideline up the, I mean, it was a beautiful touch throw where you can see, you know, I've, I've heard some people say that uh, Lawrence was not the, just the obvious pick for number one overall. No, he he's, was. He, he was. And, and he is, he's the best prospect of the group that when you see this throw and what he's capable of, 
it, it hits you. You're like, yeah, th- that's why this guy's special. They've, they've lost 19 in a row right now as a franchise. The record all time is 26. 26 back in the 70s by the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, but in the modern era, it ties the longest streak the, in the Super Bowl modern era. Um, Paul, the, the record is 19 losses in a row by the Detroit Lions. And, and the, the Jags have it. Have, they've tied it now. And they lost Chark last night. Yeah. And Chark uh, is a good receiver for them. That's a tough weapon to, to lose there. Um, so that doesn't help them any to, to lose one of their top receivers. Chenault is a, is a good player. That's, that's a good combo deal there. But losing one of them is, is going to hurt them. And it sounds like it's a long-term, long-term thing, yeah. season-ending thing. Yeah, that's what it looks like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Congrats to your Yankees. That's a big and the Braves. win. And the Braves. Night. Braves clinch. That's that's huge. Yankees haven't clinched, but they're in very good shape heading into their last three with a two-game lead in the wild card. So uh, They've won eight and, of their last nine. Is that right? Yeah. And Boston uh, loses two out of three, I think, to, yeah. the, to the Orioles. Orioles. Which is bad news. My one uh, closest Boston fan friend is doing – Probably what I would be doing if the Yankees were losing right now, talking about the team's deficiencies. Like, well, they would just go to the playoffs and lose anyway because they're not a well-built team, which is the way I talked about the Yankees this year. I don't want to hear it. Boston's choking like dogs. You want in the playoffs if you could get in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. And I'm not going to accept your talking about their deficiencies. I'm going to stomp you in the throat over your team choking. Well, I mean, we, we, but I don't want to see you in the playoffs. either. I don't want to play in a wild card game with the chance of losing to you. I want you props, not to I make mean, it. Uh, let's in, on the flip side of that, give props to the Atlanta Braves. They lost Acuna. Oh yeah. They lost They've Ozuna. They've got no business being in. They, they, they did not have Soroka, you know, and we're, we're discussing at the trade deadline because Freddie Freeman's going into the final year of his deal. Like it's, should he be shipped around at the trade deadline? Instead, they go out and win their fourth uh, straight NL East title. Um, they spent 126 days without a winning record this season. Now the Yankees need Toronto, who's in trouble because they just beat them twice, not to get that second wild card um, mm. or not to wind up in a tie. The Yankees are in good shape to host the game, too, because they're going to win the first wild card. The trouble is that Garrett Cole has had two bad outings in a row, and they need Garrett Cole to dominate that wild card game to get them into the, the real playoffs. Big night for my brother who's a Braves fan, also based out of Greenville, South Carolina. His team clinched, and he was at the Rolling Stones concert in Charlotte last night, so it gives me a, great night. a good review. Did you see this thing? Mick Jagger was at a bar in Charlotte the night before the show. There's a picture going around of him just kind of standing there with a beer in front of him. It wasn't crowded, but the people around him were paying him no attention. And then the bar owner later said, "Yeah, after he left, I talked to those people who were behind him and said that was Mick Jagger. And they were like, oh, my God, we have floor seats tomorrow night. We didn't <laughs> notice it. How do you not notice Mick Jagger at a bar? Maybe he's just so unassuming at a bar. Like, you, you're not a – that's one of those situations where if you turned around and saw someone, you'd be like, oh, there's a guy who looks like Mick Jagger. It would not be, that's Mick Jagger. I know, but the night before the Stones play, if I'm out in Nashville, I won't be next Friday night, but I would be on high alert for because I know what they did last time they were here and where they were and that he was at the Parthenon and stuff. I would be on high alert in Nashville next Friday night for Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. I wouldn't be like I would have my head on a swivel for Mick Jagger and Keith Richards in Nashville all day next Friday. If I'm having a beer somewhere, I'm looking for them. 
be like uh, the <laughs> the time that we were at the combine and Vrabel walked by and we're like, hey, did you see Vrabel? No, well, right I, there. I, I, just yeah, walk by. I don't have to look around a lot for Mike Vrabel. I see him all the time. I, well, my uh, point is, you didn't see him I as he walked right I by you on the street. Him. I um, so I, on your advice, <laughs> I'm putting this completely on Chad and uh, okay. Hutton. There used to be an early Sunday flight to Jacksonville that we took occasionally, members of the press, uh, particularly, you know, if you were covering, I, I never covered a, co- a college game, but somebody like, like Joe Rexroad, who does a lot of Vandy and UT coverage, it was an easy thing for him to cover a, a college game on, on Saturday and fly out of Nashville Sunday morning. Or like Wyatt uh, Or would Jim do. Wyatt if he was co- going to a late Vanderbilt game. Uh, that flight no longer exists. I presumed it did when I was doing my scheduling, and the Stones concert was rescheduled for Saturday night. I've invested big money in going to the Stones concert. Teresa and I yeah, have it's been pre- rescheduled. pretty good yeah. seats, so it's rescheduled. So I texted you guys, and I'm like, and some others, and I'm like, am I crazy to take a flight to Jacksonville that lands at 12.15 for a 1 o'clock game? No. And you were like, no. You, you, all of you were like, you've got to do it. This is the Jags we're talking about. Right. Yeah. If it was a big game, it'd be one thing. So I'm going to land. You're going to miss the fondue fountain. No, I'm, in in the the mercy of, I'm at the mercy of Southwest Airline. I've got national rental car, which, you know, you plop right in the car. It's a matter of how many cars are in front of you. I could conceivably get there at 10 of or 5 of, or I could conceivably get there at 10 after or quarter after and just catch up. <laughs> There will be no pregame <laughs> photos of from me or warm up shots or anything like that. I'll I'll send out some Rolling Stones stuff, but I'm choosing the Stones over Absolutely. the early Titans next week. I mean, if this were if this was Titans Chiefs, you know, I would I would answer that differently uh, with with your posed question. Right. Or if they're playing at the Rams or or the Seahawks, I would have had no choice. I would have this right, and I would have the same result or answer to you if it were this week with the Jets. I mean, it's just terrible matchup. Titans are winning. There's not a whole lot of fanfare behind this. It's just one of those weeks where you just want to get it out of the way. And and I'll be there. Yeah, that's what I'll I'm saying. I'm, I know, but you'll be at both as you should be. I appreciate all of this absolution. Now, if this plane breaks down <laughs> or there's something on the runway, well, I'll just that, get off and come home and watch it on TV, I guess. Read your thoughts. Uh, so that early flight, that flight down, down on Saturday that no longer exists. Early Sunday. The early Sunday flight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, there there have been media. There was a media member who was late one time because the door fell off of that plane on its way to Jacksonville one Sunday. So you're probably better off. But do you have any reservations now having seen what the Jaguars did last night? to the Bengals that this may be more of a game than you're thinking. Well, it's more of a game. I think it'll be more of a game in the fourth quarter, not that the first quarter is yeah. not going to be what determines it. And Randy can, Bullock hitting a field goal. Yeah, I can watch. <laughs> I mean, I can catch up on what I miss. I'm not that worried. Uh, a game that we would not miss, that we would not skip out on, Tom Brady's return to Foxborough on Sunday. The game of the year. I mean, this has been – this has been on the schedule of sports fans for over a year since he joined the Tampa Bay Bucks, and we knew the Bucks were on the schedule for the Patriots. Um, Brady returns to New England, full fanfare, packed house. Albert Breer is about to join us, and uh, we'll go through the saga of Brady and New England, and now in Tampa, and what all this means going back to New England, what we should expect on Sunday Night Football. We preview Brady and the Bucks taking on the Pats next on OutKick 360. Football, Patriots, Buccaneers, Brady's return to Foxborough and Gillette Stadium. 
where I believe the record, he already has the record by like 30 games, most wins in a stadium. But, Paul, we discussed this yesterday. He's going for his 116th win, I believe, at Gillette Stadium. Second most all-time is John Elway at mile high. I mean, it's – and that's like with 85 wins at that stadium. Favre's on the list at Lambeau. There's a couple others. And Elway probably got sliced up because they had two stadiums yeah. out there. Oh, that might be, yeah. yeah. So, it could be a little bit of a – dicey stat in terms of that like if you're a great quarterback and your team builds a new stadium in the middle of your career then you kind of get screwed in that department either like even if we didn't have the fanfare around the and the coverage around Brady's return let's just say that this is just Brady's bucks against Belichick's Patriots just straight up which it is on Sunday when they kick off this should not be much of a game as I as I think of it I mean Every game is close for a while in the NFL, but I don't trust the Patriots to be able to run the football, rookie quarterback. Um, yeah, I just I don't see how they keep it close for, for four quarters. And defending Brady is a challenge for anybody. I don't know that <clears throat> any insights that Belichick has is um, <clears throat> something that Brady can solve. So he returns Sunday. I, I can't wait to see the, the pregame festivities with all of it NBC's coverage should be a lot of fun to watch um you know they've they they'll have they should have Drew Brees on site right with all this because Manny or Brady's yeah. going to break well, the I don't record know if they're on site if they're in the studio did they go on site yeah Albert Breer of Monday morning quarterback is with us to preview Sunday night's game with the Patriots and Buccaneers Albert great to have you back on the show man hope you're doing well I'm good how are you guys doing we, right. we are excellent. Give us just your, your straight expectations for Sunday night, setting the stage for what should be a great atmosphere and great fanfare as we sit at home here in Nashville and watch. Um, for someone who has covered the Patriots for years mm-hmm. and, and now covers this league nationally, what are you expecting for Sunday night? It's, hard, it's almost hard to know what to expect just because like, I don't know that there's a great precedent for this. The closest thing, I guess, would be Favre going back into Lambeau um, and that was different for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I, I like there isn't the six championships there. I don't think there was as strong a connection to the coach. Now, of course, uh, you know, Brett had played for Mike McCarthy, but it wasn't for anywhere near the length of time that um, Brady played for Belichick. And, you know, and then on the other hand, you know, Favre was going on, going, coming in as a member of the arch rival where that's not happening here. So, um, I think it's going to be an intense environment. That's what I would expect. Um, probably a playoff like atmosphere. And um, I will say this, like, you know, I grew up here and um, you know, I, like I spent most of my life here. I don't know anyone here who didn't spend last January and February rooting for the Buccaneers. Um, I'd be surprised if you can even hear a single boo in that place, you know, now maybe if there's somebody next to you, who uh, had a little too much fun in the parking lot, you know, maybe you'll hear it if you're, you're sitting in section 323 and there's somebody sitting right next to you who uh, has some sort of grudge. But um, if you're watching on TV, I think, you know, what you're going to hear is probably an overwhelmingly positive uh, response to Brady coming home. People had plenty of time to get ready to the idea for the idea of him leaving in that last season, knowing he wasn't going to be franchise tagged and that was part of his deal and, and all of that. So there wasn't anything like uh, sudden 
about his departure. That leads to a great deal of warmth. How do you think the Patriots officially handle all of this introduction, pregame video, the moment he passes passes the all-time record? You know, I I know this. Um, you know, the guy who like owns the building isn't Belichick; it's Kraft. And uh, I think Kraft very much values his relationship with Brady, and he wants that to be a good relationship, not just with him personally, but with his family. Um, you know, when Brady is done playing, and you know, certainly, uh, you know, there'll be a statue of Brady outside the stadium and all of that. So, um, I my my, my feeling would be that. The Kraft family will probably do everything they can within the parameters of, you know, Bill Belichick and his team's effort to win the football game to honor Brady and to welcome Brady back. And so um, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some sort of video on the video board, um, if they stop the game, um, you know, when he when he passes uh, Drew Brees on the all time passing list. Um, And, you know, what? honestly, Paul, you know, what's funny about it is like for all this time, I've sort of thought like that bill might push back against that. But like, the more I think about it, the closer we get to game day, I sort of wonder like, is bill going to want to turn Brady's emotions around on him? And so, (laughs) you know, in a funny sort of way, like maybe Belichick would be for this because he wants like the emotions to kind of maybe get the best of Brady a little bit. So, uh, you know, maybe he isn't a hundred percent locked in on the game. Uh, It'll be interesting just to see the way that they handle it. Um, But I do think that like, there's going to be, some things during the game to honor Brady and acknowledge his time in New England. Albert Breer, our guest, Monday morning quarterback. Albert, everything is about precedent with the New England Patriots. What precedent were they trying to set or setting in in Brady's situation, and how did it lead to his departure? Because in the 24-hour news cycle, a lot can be lost over the last couple of years. Take us back to what actually led to his departure. Sure. Well, I, I think the first precedent is um, the fact that there was no precedent for what Brady's done, you know, and, um, you know, I think that that was sort of at the back- backdrop of everything that, um, you know, as Brady got to like sort of each milestone from an age standpoint, he was doing things that had never been done before. And, um, you know, it's like you hear Bill say, well, if anybody can do it, Tom can do it. Um, but like the truth is that no one had done a lot of the things that he had done before. And the Patriots have made a living off of not betting on things that haven't happened before, you know? So, um, you know, I think that's sort of why um, the split sort of, but I think that's at the root of some of the issues Um, drafting Garoppolo in 2014, Belichick coming out and publicly saying, um, you know, that Brady's contract and age played into it. I don't think Brady, you know, I don't think that's very well received by Brady. Um, you know, and then I, I think in, in, in 2016, sort of the back and forth that happened during Deflategate, I'm not sure Brady really felt like the team had his back all the way on that. Um, that leads to in 17, um, you know, gr- going into the final year of Garoppolo's contract, um, things sort of getting worse between he and Belichick. So that's sort of the background. They're able to patch it, patch things up for 2018. They win a Super Bowl. I think that extends it for another year. Um, and you know, really like before the 19th season, you know, really to me, like where this stood, and it's understandable from both sides. I don't think I I'll put it this way. I know that the raw dollar figure wasn't the problem. The mm-hmm. contract offer the Patriots put 
in front of Brady to try and keep him with the team beyond 2019, the dollars were workable. It was the guarantees that were the problem. And Brady wanted the contract not to say you'll make X amount of dollars or be the highest paid quarterback in football or any of that. It was more so, I want the contract to say I'm going to be the quarterback of the team for the next couple of years. And because of all of that stuff with precedent, you know, because there had been no precedent for somebody playing at this age, the Patriots didn't want to go there with guarantees. Brady's upset about that because Brady feels like he's deserves the chance to give it a shot to play to that age. And that the team sort of, after all the equity he's built up, um, owes him the chance to try and do that. And so that was sort of where the contract negotiation shifted from the team doing an extension with him to Brady doing the sort of deal with the team that allowed for him to depart and gave him control over his own situation through having the no franchise tag clause in there. So I'm sorry for being long winded on it, but I really think it did start in 2014 and it may have ended earlier if it weren't for the team winning championships along the way. And, you know, I didn't think then I think finally it gets the point, you know, coming off of the 18 championship where Brady feels like he's at least earned the, I would say the luxury of telling the Patriots when he's going to walk away and the Patriots insistence on saying, no, like we need control or when it's time to say goodbye to you was what hastened his departure. Albert Breer with us from Monday morning quarterback. We're previewing Bucks and Pats. So Seth Wickersham's book is coming out mm-hmm. sometime soon. There's already uh, some things trickling out from it. It's better to be feared. Uh, the New England Patriots dynasty and the pursuit of greatness. Uh, one I've heard is Kraft talking badly about Belichick at some corporate uh, function or seminar or something like that. Um, I know everybody puts on a, a tough face and there'll be all kinds of denials, but it's pretty clear that Seth talked to the major players um, involved in this as he put this together. Um I guess, it's not a surprise, I guess, that at the end of this, Kraft and Belichick and Brady would have some things to say about each other, though maybe it's a surprise they did as soon as they did. Yeah, I like, I don't know. I don't want to speculate on where, and I've read the book. Um, I read it a few months ago. I, I, I don't want to speculate on where Seth's getting any of his information from because I know how many people he talked to for the book. And so... Um, you know, when you guys read it, you'll see it's not like based on conversations so much with one person or two people or three people. It's, you know, based on a ton of reporting done over a long period of time. Um, you know, I, I like I, I just think like the and Paul, you're saying like I lost your question. Well, right I, 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 it would seem amongst the people he talked to, he probably talked to the primary players here yeah. who were willing to kind of get some of this stuff off their chest about the interplay. Yeah. And I, like, I, I, I certainly think like, you know, at least the stuff was run by them. You know what I mean? Right. Like they, at least you at least give, and, and that's just, you know, a matter of course that you give people a chance to respond to everything. And I mean, look, like, I don't think the relationship between Kraft and Belichick was perfect either. And I don't think Belichick has a lot of relationships that you would consider perfect. You know, it's just sort of, like who he is. And I think people who have worked with him, Paul would tell you like, you have to be okay with the guy walking, blowing by you in the hallway and not acknowledging you. You don't, you can't be the kind of person that needs constant affirmation 
that Bill approves of what you're doing or that Bill likes you or that Bill loves having you around. You can't be somebody who's seeking that constant affirmation and work for Belichick. It just doesn't work. And so, you know, I think that's something that Brady and, and Kraft like managed over a long period of time and had to manage over a long period of time. And it's easy to manage that when you're having an incredible level of success, or it's easier to manage it when you're having an incredible level of success. It becomes another thing when either you aren't having that level of success, or maybe you feel like you've done as much as the other person in the relationship to create that success, if that makes sense. Sure. So like, I do think like there's like, there's sort of like a bargain. I think that people who have worked well with Bill make um, because of who he is and because of how I would say exceptional a football mind he is like, there are certain things like you probably allow for with Bill that you wouldn't allow for with other people. And I think Paul, like this is like any normal human relationship too, in that like the longer you live in that environment, the more it might wear on you. Albert Breer with us. Albert, is is there, do you think there's any surprise in the Patriots organization, or even Belichick, who's been known over the years to get rid of a player a year early than a year too late with trades? Do you think they're surprised by the level of play that we saw from Brady? Paul and I were in Foxborough, maybe you were too, the, the wild card game against the Titans, his final game, yeah. where he did not look like this Tom Brady that we're seeing in Tampa. Are they Oops. surprised privately about his level of play? So, like, I, I think the question is more, like, I think the question at that time was, like, how much of it was the Patriots roster failing and how much of it was Brady himself failing? And I think we found out last year how flawed that roster is. Um, in fact, I think, like, on the field coaching, like, Bill did a pretty good job last year because I think that 7-9 and nine team was probably closer to being a 5-11 and 11 roster. Um, and so, like, I, I think the calculation that maybe they messed up on was, how much of Brady maybe taking a step back in 2019 was Brady himself and how much of it was what was around him. And I also think like there's part of it too, where, you know, maybe to a degree down the stretch, Brady had reached a boiling point with his frustration where it was like, I like, they're asking me to, they're, they're, they're asking me to load the team on, on, on my shoulders again. And this is the same group that wouldn't even like guarantee an extra year of my contract. You know what I mean? Like, so like, what do I owe them in this situation? And I just think that's sort of where it was um, now. Like, and I think like there's bills being truthful when he says like, if, like if, if, if anybody can do it, it's Tom. Like, I think he probably believed at the time like if there was anybody that could play at that level at 43 years old and win a seventh Super Bowl at that age, it was Tom Brady, but he wasn't willing to gamble a certain amount of guaranteed money and break all kinds of precedents um, to find out. And I think that was his mistake um, because when you have a, like such an exceptional person in your building, like, I think you keep them, and if the wheels fall off, the wheels fall off. But I think that that's more the calculation that was made. And so I would tell you, and I know it sounds like I'm copping out and it's fence straddling and all that, but, like, I, I think, like, they would tell you, like, yeah, it was possible um, that that would happen, but we're not willing to gamble a boatload of guaranteed money and break precedent to find out. How do you think Mac Jones handles Sunday night? I mean, shoot, like, I think one of the things that, 
they liked most about Matt coming out. I mean, you guys are down there in SEC country. Like he's played in big, he's played on, uh, on big stages, you know, and like he's seen environments that are like crazier than 95% of the environments you're going to see in the NFL. And so there's that. He also, you know, was replacing a legend down there in Tua. And, um, you know, I mean, we all know like Tua struggled as a pro, but like at Alabama, I, like Tua, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, you guys are closer to that than I am, but I, I, I feel like Tua was sort of untouchable, you know, um, you know, the way he played in 2018 and 2019. So, like, I think that they, one of the things Patriots really liked was that he was coming from that environment. So they felt like he could handle anything. Um, like this is going to be interesting because I do think like, if you look at their first three games, one of the things that I think people miss with rookie quarterbacks is the guys who play the best are the guys who are maybe the most managed and the guys who are kept out of long yardage and aren't playing from behind a lot where the team is doing its best to make sure that the quarterback's just a bus driver and not the entire show. And the Patriots did a good job of that um, the first two games. So if they can do that with him, I think Mac will be fine. Where they get in trouble, I think, is if they get into a situation like they got in last week where they fall behind and the other team's controlling the tempo of the game and now they have to ask too much of the first-year quarterback. And I don't think that won't – I don't think that'll do with Mac Jones's makeup because I think he'll handle the environment there just fine. But, you know, if I'm the Bucks, like the job for me is – get a big lead early on, try to maybe go up top on them quickly and put the pressure on the Patriots offense to play catch up the whole night, because that's the best way to put Mac Jones in a situation where he's less likely to succeed. Let's take you out of new England. Curious about your view of the Titans here. You've known John Robinson for a long time. Um, and he's obviously gotten uh, pretty good and steady results here, despite yeah. some, some personnel decisions that we talk about here a lot, Bert. Um, Caleb Farley, Dylan Raiden's top two picks here haven't done anything yet. Isaiah Wilson, an all-time bad pick last year. They brought in Vic Beasley and Jadavian Clowney. One of them got cut. One of them did nothing before he got hurt. Bud Dupree and Josh Reynolds, they're, they're two big guys this year, haven't done anything yet. Rashawn Evans didn't get his fifth-year option, hasn't turned into a player, not going to be here next year. <laughs> you look at that and say, hey, it's amazing what John Robinson's doing with so little contribution from so many key people? Or do you look at that and say, boy, the Titans could be in the Super Bowl if they could get their prime free agents and prime draft picks to actually do stuff for them? It's so weird, Paul, because, like, you feel like they've done a better job with sort of the under-the-radar guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, get, and finding, like, Kevin Byard and um, taking the chance on A.J. Brown that other teams weren't willing to take and, you know, getting Derrick Henry in the second round, like, you feel like, like a lot of the hits that they've had, even like a John U. Smith, like the, the hits that J Rob's had there have been like either, you know, kind of bargain basement free agents or like going and, you know, getting guys in the second, third, fourth round. Um, and I guess that's sort of his background anyway, because that's, you know, where you would hope a guy with a college scouting background would excel. Um, you know, but I, I do think the one thing that like you do see that sort of helped them through this, that I, I wouldn't lose sight of, like there are a lot of teams that sort of change their identity from, you know, from, from year to year. And they're like, okay, like, well, what are we going to be next year? And I just think like what, you know, what Brable and, and J Rob have done there in building an identity has helped carry them through some of those, you know, I think those obvious personnel mistakes where, um, you know, like against Seattle, 
they're staring down like a, an zero and two start. They're on the road on the other side of the country. They're down by two touchdowns um, in one of the more difficult environments to play in, in football. And that would seem to be panic time. Like, okay, like let's see if Ryan Tannehill can go win the game for us. And that's not what happened. Like they trusted their formula. They trusted who they are. They trusted their identity and Derek Henry wound up taking the game over and they come out of there with a big win. And, and now, you know, they've sort of feel like they've turned the corner at two and one. So it's interesting. Cause you know, I, I, I think Paul uh, J Robin and honest moment would tell you like, there are a bunch of things that he wishes he could have back, but I do think like the fact that they have a very coherent plan and a plan that like, quite honestly, you could explain it. Like, I always think this is a high compliment. Like I've always felt this way about the Ravens. Like you could explain who they are to an eight-year-old. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, and I feel like the Titans are that sort of way where you can explain who they are and what they do. Um, and I think it's a credit to J-Rob that he's been able to build that sort of identity in that building. And, you know, I think it sets them up where if they can turn the corner and start hitting on some of their higher picks, like let's say Caleb Farley becomes a true number one corner. Now, all of a sudden, you know, maybe they're ready to take the next step. Albert Breer has been our guest. Uh, Albert, we are uh, we're jealous of the setting on Sunday night for you because yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, going through the history of the league, going into a Super Bowl or even a playoff matchup, you know that the cameras are rolling. You know that the thirty for thirties and the, a football life there will be images from those games that pop into a storyline. Very, it, it's rare that you have a regular season matchup that we know in advance will be like that historically. So yeah. uh, th- that's what Sunday night is, I mean, and that's what makes it really cool. It's it's unbelievable, and you know I you know I know you guys have your, your you know your sports legends down here up here. It's you know it's it's Bobby Orr, it's um, you know it's Bobby Orr, it's it's Ted Williams, it's uh, it's Larry Bird, it's Bill Russell, and this is one of those guys, maybe a guy greater than all of those guys, um, you know, coming back and playing in that stadium in another uniform and. Um, you know, I, I think what's interesting about like these cities in the Northeast and Paul, you know, this, like, um, you know, these cities are notoriously tough on players and coaches, but when they consider someone, one of their own, they're fiercely loyal. And I can still remember before the run of championship started here, you know, Ray Bork was a great, great player for the Bruins for, I mean, 15 years. Um, you know, they trade him away in his late thirties. He goes and wins a cup with the Colorado avalanche. They literally throw him a parade in the city of Boston, um, for winning that championship. And so, you know, I think if you want to look for a kind of an instructive example of what this might be like on Sunday night, I think that might be it. Like, I think that this is going to be, um, for people up here, their version of throwing a, a Super Bowl parade for Tom Brady. Albert Breer, always great. Read his work, Monday morning quarterback and Monday afternoon quarterback as well. Uh, Albert, appreciate you, man, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Thanks very much, Pat. All right, thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, same to you. Patriots and Bucks, Sunday night, Paul. It's going to be a blast. Get back and watch. Newark Airport Hotel. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Coming up, we will uh, switch gears. We'll talk some college football. And uh, over the next couple hours or so, Bobby Carpenter will join us. Speaking of Ohio State Buckeyes, Bobby Carpenter will join us. Jill Savage from Outkick the Tailgate and much more on Outkick 360. Coming up tomorrow morning, Outkick the Tailgate presented by Farm Folio. We will be live in Tuscaloosa across the Outkick Network previewing Alabama, Ole Miss, and all the top games across college football. Alongside Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. 
pleased to be joined by the woman who makes it all happen for Outkick the Tailgate. Jill Savage is on her way from Texas to Tuscaloosa. I will be leaving Nashville as soon as the show is over to meet her for the show tomorrow morning in Tuscaloosa. And Jill joins us, uh, not driving, but pulled over on the side of the road during her trek to Alabama. Jill, she lacks courage. uh, How are you and how is the gas station? Uh, the Chevron is great right now. Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm somewhere, I think I'm on like the Texas, Louisiana border right now. So I'll, I'll make it to Tuscaloosa. It'll all be great. And I'm really, really excited for the game this weekend. Why not be more courageous and do it while driving? We, uh, Austin Price does it that way for us. That's, that would be one uh, interesting strategy. I don't know. I don't know the roads that well. Oh, Let's okay. go with that excuse. That's a good one. Jill, we are live tomorrow, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 o'clock Central. Uh, and you told me on your drive you would be booking tomorrow morning show. Who, who is on the show for us tomorrow? Yeah, so we're going to have a former Alabama quarterback, Jay Barker, who now hosts the Jay Barker Show. So we'll get to talk to him about what it's like being, you know, a quarterback at Alabama, what he thinks about Bryce Young uh, in, in the line of all of these great Bama quarterbacks that we've seen. And Lance Taylor, um, host of the next round, He's also going to be on the show with us in our last hour, helping us with our picks tomorrow. And I saw just now on his Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. So Lance was talking about coming out for our show. Um, We're obviously going to be at NS free uh, at the pub there in Tuscaloosa. Lance, I believe is doing his show from there actually uh, this morning and afternoon. So he's getting the party started at NS free for us. So that is definitely going to be the place to be all weekend long. Really looking forward to it. Uh, Innisfree in Birmingham is always great. I've not been to the one in Tuscaloosa. Uh, really looking forward to doing the show live from there. What do you think about the game? We get the chance. We get the chance to go to the game uh, tomorrow afternoon as well with Clay and Fox. This is going to be a blast. And uh, look, if it's anything and what happened last year with Ole Miss and Alabama, this is going to be a tight one. Yeah, I'm an Iowa Hawkeye at heart. So when I see an over under right around 79 and a half, I, I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> I'm really, really excited for all of these potential points that are going to be scored with 111 points in last year's matchup. Uh, I, I just look at this one and I say, of course, it's going to come down to the quarterback play. The top two guys in the Heisman race uh, with Matt Corral and, and Bryce Young. And, and really what it comes down to, in my opinion, is who makes fewer mistakes. And until Alabama proves otherwise, I think you still have to side with Bama. Of course, Lane Kiffin going up against Nick Saban, that storyline. Uh, but but when I look at this game, it's who do you trust to make fewer mistakes? And I just think that Matt Corral, you always try and say like the old cliches of your 111th, do your job, don't try and do too much. I feel like in that environment, Corral had a, had a great game against Bama last year, but that was at home, you know, small crowds. This time, I think it's going to be a little different for him, just being thrust in there. And if he tries to do too much, it, all you need to do is, is like overthrow, make, you know, an underthrow. It's, it's not going to take that much for the Bama defense, I think, just to get him off of his game a little bit. And that's all it takes. Yep. For, for Bama to, to come out and get the victory. One of my favorite segments each week, Paul, is fact or fiction on Outkick the Tailgate. Uh, Jill, give, give Paul an example of what we could face in a question tomorrow. Uh, yeah, so when you look at fact or fiction, we would say fact or fiction. Uh, Paul would get along better with a Nick Saban. He would, he would be able to hang better with Nick Saban 
than he would Lane Kiffin. Fact or fiction? Paul, final 30 seconds. You have the floor. Fiction. <laughs> I, I would get along way better with Lane Kiffin than I would get along with uh, Nick Saban. But, no chance with Nick Saban. But the entertainment value, Jill, would be in those press conferences with Paul and Nick Saban. No question. Like that. That's a fact, but it's fiction. He would. He would not get along well with uh, the greatest college football coach in, in, all of, in all of time. I would go south in one press conference, one question. Jill, thank you so much. Uh, drive safe, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in T-Town. What's the snack of choice? Are you eating those caramel uh, or the sea salt almonds? You know, I have those stocked up again, so Hutton will yes. get some more of those yes. this weekend. Awesome. And, and all of his blue Jolly Ranchers. I have those in my car for you. <laughs> wow. Uh, there we that. go. You've got so, their menus down. She has my rider. That's yeah. right. Jill, thank you. Jill Savage, Outkick the Tailgate, presented by Farm Folio, 9 a.m. Eastern tomorrow morning across the Outkick Network. We are back with the top headlines of the day next on Outkick 360.